Soraya, how's it going? Hey, Jeff, what's up? Not too much. My AC's working. Now that is good news. Yes, that is good news. Hey, do you remember when we talked to Gwen, Casey, and Bambi from the Pandoras, and we talked about their the first Pandoras album, It's About Time? Right. And then afterwards, we wanted to get together with Melanie and Karen from the later version of the Pandoras to talk about Stop Pretending. But then that nasty COVID thing hit and <laughs> messed up our plans to get together with them. Ugh. Damn you, coronavirus. I know, I know. And we might be dealing with that for a while. But uh, we... We are at a point now where we can have Karen and Melanie on via Skype. So we're looking forward to learning more about that album Stop Pretending and their time with the Pandoras. Sounds good. I say we get started. Let's do it. Hi, this is Soraya. And this is Jeff. Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agroviar. Let's get groovy. Good morning, Karen Melanie. Um, and before we get started, just want to let you know how we want to work through this time with you. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, we wanted to ask a couple of questions about the Hot Generation single. Then okay. go to the Hey, It's the Pandora's EP. And we also want to talk about this album that um, was recorded for Electra, but uh, wasn't released. And then talk about Stop Pretending. Is that all right? Yeah, uh, that's fine. So Perfect. chronologically, it's kind of weird. but. Yeah. We wanted to, we wanted to uh, focus mainly on Stop Pretending and build up to that. But first, we wanted to start with this little single that I'm holding in my hand that was released on Vox. And um, it looks like at the time it was Paula, Karen, Melanie, and Julie in the band. Can you tell us how this single came to be and how you guys joined the band? Melanie, you want to go first? Okay, I'll go first. So uh, it was... 1984, the Pandoras had already uh, been a band for about probably eight months or so. They started in 1983. And um, Paula had been kind of looking for other members, but really not, you know, doing anything about it because I used to go to their shows. And um, so she, for me personally, I knew her through the 60s garage scene. I was in high school. I was a lot younger than her. And um, she would come up to me periodically and ask me if I knew how to play an instrument. And I would always say, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, I did. I could never imagine like, oh, well, I'm going to be in a band. But um, she, this one, this one time they had played Madame Wong's West and her aunt blew up. She was extremely pissed off at everybody. And she stomped right over to me, <laughs> straight to me. And she said, um, do you play an instrument? And <laughs> I was like, I didn't really say anything, but my boyfriend at the time, he's like, she does. She knows how to play piano. She's like, seriously, okay. He, she gave me her number and uh, I caught, or she, maybe I gave her mine. She called me and then she gave me three songs to learn. She's like, do you want to try out? And I'm like, 
Yeah, and at this time, the Pandoras hadn't, the original lineup had not broken up yet. Because, you know, Karen comes into this as well, because Karen meeting her is also at the same time that this is going down with me. And um, so she had said, uh, she, I think, had met Julie, and Julie was going to play bass. Perhaps maybe at this point, Bambi had quit, because Bambi quit Pandora's. And then okay. um, she was thinking of, she wanted to replace keyboards, and then Casey was thinking about what she wanted to do, if she wanted to quit or stay. I think that's the point, their album hadn't come out yet. And so okay. anyway, she gave me three songs to learn, and I learned them. I went to Rich Coffee's house from The Unclaimed, and there was a, a Supervox Continental keyboard. It wasn't mine yet, it became mine. And I tried out in his bedroom. It was Rich, me, Paula, and my boyfriend. And Paula loved it, and right there she said, do you want to join? And I'm like, yeah, of course I do, absolutely I want to join. And she said uh, she was, I think she had already met with Karen. I think that Karen had, and Karen will tell her story, but I think Karen had come in and played with her. And she said, you know, we're just waiting to see what Casey does. So that's kind of like how it, that happened. And then I got a call to, I guess, Casey left, that was it. And I got a call, okay, we're gonna have our first practice. And we went, to our first practice, it was in Whittier. We used to practice at our, this guy that was helping us out at his sister's house in the garage. And that's where I first met Karen, I believe. And she'll, she'll like say that so. But I think, you know, the first time the, the, the four of us all got together, I believe was when that album came out. The first, the eve of that album coming out because it was like, Oh, she was supposed to be all excited that her new album came out, but she was excited that she had a new band. That's like, she was like, cause this had this big transition right at the same time. Karen? I was in a band uh, playing around town, just a rockabilly all girl group. And they, uh, they found a guitar player who was uh, much better than myself and, and much more into the music that they, the styles that they were doing. So I basically got fired in the parking lot of Madame Wong's East. Wow. And out in the parking lot, the, uh, the bass player, who was Pat, and her brother was uh, uh, Chuck Davis from the, um, the Dickies. And, uh, and, and he, had, um, he had contact with uh, Paula. He was in that whole scene and everything like that, the whole 60s scene. And, and she gave me Paula's phone number and said, hey, Paula's looking for, uh, you know, she's putting a new band together. Um, so um, I called Paula and I said, Duh. I was a guitar player at the time. I, I had played drums, but I hurt my shoulder surfing and I was kind of giving myself a, a break. I didn't think I would drum again. But she said, um, hey, get, get, get the album. Um, listen have a listen to it i go oh, i've heard your stuff on rodney's show i'm i'm, I'm kind of a fan I, I i dig your stuff um and i said uh, you know you're looking for a guitar player she says well actually i'm looking for a, a drummer um so 
I said, I'll, I'll, you know, go home and listen. I still had my drums set up at home and everything like that. I just hadn't played. So I started playing again and my shoulder didn't bother me that much. And I listened to the songs and learned them. Um, then I called Paula and I said, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's give it a try. So I went to that garage in Whittier and um, it was, uh, uh, Julie was there. It was, it was Melanie. Uh, sorry, it was uh, Paula, Julie. They were already like rehearsing and then myself. And um, we went through, uh, we did a couple of rehearsals actually. And, um, you know, started to get just a feel for how we work together and everything like that. And, uh, and then uh, Paula said she was also uh, had a keyboard player that she was uh, starting to work with. And, and then Melanie came in and, and we all just played the songs together. And that was it. We were a band. So that's, that's pretty much my story of how I got, got into it. Um, I wasn't into the whole 60s scene very much. Uh, I was aware of it, again, because of Rodney's show. Um, but um, it wasn't really the music that I was really, I grew up with or I was listening to at the time. I was sort of like listening to, to the mainstream K-Rock stuff, The Cure and Duran Duran and uh, some kind of alternative stuff, but more commercial. But I really dug the rawness of the whole 60s garage stuff. And Paula gave me this great uh, compilation cassette. She's like, here's the kind of stuff that I'm influenced by. Have a listen to this. So, you know, I, every time I drive around in my car, I'd pop the cassette in. And uh, I think I still have it in one of my boxes of cassettes. I'll have to pull that out and take a photo of the, the song list and everything. But yeah, there's just great stuff. And, and um, you know, just basic rock and roll, uh, guitars, bass, drums, and vocals. And a lot of raw recordings and uh, and also keyboards those vox and farfisa keyboards which were really cool really cool i dig that stuff so uh it was right up my alley pretty much um even though it was a new sort of genre to me um i mean i love the 60s and 70s music but the stuff that they played on the radio the the, the famous stuff not not the, the whole underground thing um but yeah, I became a fan of that that whole sort of genre and uh, particularly the, the songs that Paula wrote because I really thought she was a good songwriter and great performer, uh, amazing musician. You know, she could play just about every instrument. Um, so if she ever had a part in her head, she could just translate, you know, she could come over and, and say, you know, do it like this or, or uh, she was just really good at, at um, telling us what she had in mind and we would interpret that and uh, sometimes she was very specific about what she wanted, like she wanted a specific thing, or sometimes she was uh, just like, you know, just do whatever, you know. So it was just kind of a, a good collaboration and a really fun, fun band to be in. Uh, I don't know if she, if she had finally decided to like get rid of uh, the other girls quit and all that stuff, but it was, it all kind of happened around the same time period. It was like probably just a month or even two months time period where there's this overlap of she's, you know, decides to, to to move on and they quit and and we we join and and it just happened so fast i mean i don't know how quick it was melanie probably remembers but we were we were ready to go in the studio like almost right away with those two new songs for um hot generation we did and you don't satisfy it was very fast we hardly even knew each other and we were in this giant you know silvery moon recording studios over there by the beverly center uh, it was, it recording was, it was one week it was one one week, week? it was yeah it was wow. when, because I always say, God, I was like a teenager. Um, and he, here's little old me. Uh, and one week, I've never played in a band or anything. Here I am recording a single 
that Rodney went on to like play, you know, all the time. That single was huge, you know, for him. And uh, he was always a huge supporter. But yeah, it was one week into us, the four of us being a band that, that we did it. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And Karen, this is news to me because I always thought that you were a drummer first and then much later learned to play other instruments. So, um, and I know that you play everything because I've been following you for a while and <laughs> you have these videos and you're doing everything in the video. You're singing, you're playing drums, you're playing bass, you're playing keyboards, you're, do you're playing guitar. So this is news to me that you've, that you've, al you've always played multi-instrument instrument, so uh. well I, I kind of bounced around from like I started out on piano when I was very little when I was about four four or five years old I took less lessons and learned piano learned how to read music um, but then when I got to be around what it was 11 12 middle school I really really wanted to play the drums and I don't remember like a specific thing that happened that was like I got to play drums now. Like I didn't see, I didn't go to a live concert and decide, or I didn't hear something on the radio or it, nothing really significant happened in my life to make that transition. I just wanted to play the drums. So I started playing the drums in, in the, in the band, a snare drum, I guess, but uh, they didn't have a space available for drums. Everybody wanted to play the drums. So they literally had everybody pull names out of a hat and only like eight people got to play. And there were like 12, 15, people want to play drums and I didn't get picked so I had to pick another instrument so I ended up playing bouncing around from the French horn to the trumpet um, I had played this thing that was like a small tuba I think they called it the baritone uh, until a space opened up somebody misbehaved and they're like Karen you, you really showed interest in the drums you know you go play but they wouldn't let you play on a drum you had to like play on a practice pad first before you you were allowed to make noise on the drum. So you had to be able to do like a double stroke roll and you had to be able to read a certain amount of music. You had to have some technique before you were given the privilege of actually playing on the snare drum or the bass drum or the timpani. That's hilarious. But yeah, I, I went from instrument to instrument. And, I, and at the same time, I sort of started playing drums. I was also interested in learning to play guitar. So when I was about and a couple of years later, I, I wanted to get an electric guitar, so I went to my local uh, guitar shop, and I got a, a Fender Twin Reverb, which I still have. Nice. Still have. Great amp. Too, too much power for most about anything, but, I mean, great clean amp, whatever. And, um, and a Gibson SG with a Bigsby tremolo. And I started learning how to play uh, surf music because I was a surfer and, and I just loved that surf twang and I had the whammy bar. And some of the first songs I learned to play on guitar was like the Ventures, some Ventures songs. But yeah, and I bought a bass too. I got my first job when I was about 16. I worked at a grocery warehouse place. I made actually decent money for like 1980, what, 82? Making six bucks an hour. And my first paycheck, I went back to that, my favorite local music store and I bought a, a Gibson uh, GNL GNL uh, bass, which I still have. So my first bass. Learned to play all those things. Not very well, but uh, yeah. I, I mean, I took lessons on guitar. I took lessons on drums. You know, I took private lessons and um, just you know all around learning technique and learning how to read and learning how to how to play uh, from charts and things like that. Um, just because I really just love to play. Awesome. We had a. a a question. So you guys are in the band, you're in the Pandoras, and a week later, Melanie, you're in the studio. Um, was this your first meeting with Bill Inglot, or 
did you guys know him before? Okay. I didn't know him before. Okay, so um, I had not met Bill Inglot yet. Bill Inglot was not there for recording that single. That, for the first, for the pod generation, you don't satisfy, was Gary Stern. Okay. And uh, like uh, Karen had said, it was at Silvery Moon, which was off of La Cienega. It was near the Beverly Center, near Tail of the Pup. And you would enter in through the back in an alley. And it was Gary's studio. And that's where they did a lot of the first album as well. And um, so it was, it was uh, when we recorded Gary Stern, me, Karen, Paula, and Julie. Uh, Paula's boyfriend at the time, Ron Rimsight, and then Greg Shaw. Okay. Oh, and I think I think my boyfriend he he was there too because he's actually the one that dropped the amp that makes the the sound on. Uh, is it on? Uh, I guess it's on Hot Generation, right at the end. Is that with the reverb? Yeah. It sounds like yeah. The the springs the springs that you hear that's the yeah. spring reverb. But. Um, it was intentional, right? You were intentionally trying to get that sound effect. Yeah, and maybe it was Paula's amp. It was her amp or my amp, but um, yeah, no, it was it, that, it, it was awesome. We just went in there, but there was no Bill Inglot yet. She, Paula had been already friends with Bill Inglot and worked with him, you know, since she was a child, basically. And um, he- Can he record like Action Now and stuff like that with her band? Yeah, her, all her early stuff, she hung out with him. She was part of, he was part of her group with Don Williams and, and that whole gang when she had a band called The Rage. And um, so he comes into the picture, you know, when you get to that point of the story, then we'll move forward with Bill. Okay, sounds good. We had a crazy approach to how we wanted to talk about the Pandora today, and it's not chronological, right, Soraya? Right. So... We wanted to talk about another record, and this is, we're going, we're jumping from the first release that you two recorded on with the Pandoras to the most recent one, which is a weird way to approach this, but Soraya, did we want to talk about this one next? Yeah, so we wanted to ask about um, this EP. So at this point, the the one addition um, change is we have Kim Shattuck in the band at this point. Oh, or for this album, sorry. Well, she was on. She was on all the other albums too. Right. Taking over for Paula, yes. Right. Sorry, I wanted to correct myself. Um, and uh, this was released in 2018. So, um, who had the idea for it? And um, and uh, I mean, the songs on it are. Um, it's getting harder all the time. Just a picture. You burn me up and down. Uh, stop pretending. See if you can. It felt all right. Dark November. Um, these songs. Um, how, what was the inspiration behind? Okay, let's get this album out. And these are the songs that we want to use. Okay, I'll answer first. So, um, you know, we ref we reformed. We we all got together. We started. We were already hanging out and everything. And actually, never did any of us think that we would end up reforming and doing something like this. It, I would have never imagined, as I'm sure Karen wouldn't have either. But, um, no. you know, it just kind of happened. There, a fan page, uh, John Brandon started a fan page and I didn't know him. 
um, I don't think Karen did either. And they invited us in to join this fan page and it became pretty fun. And everybody was on there telling their stories and tales of all the craziness. And uh, we all were hanging out. We had already been hanging out anyways, but um, we thought it would be funny. Ooh, wouldn't this be funny if we uh, play some of the songs and hang out, but not tell anybody. So that's kind of how that started as far as um, thinking about doing the band. Kim never really thought she wanted to ever be a part of something like that, but neither did we. We didn't think like, we really didn't think. We just thought, let's hang out. Let's play some of the old cool songs. This will, this will be awesome with us. It would me, Sherry, Karen, and Kim. And, you know, Karen and Sherry had both been the Pandora's drummers. So uh, when Kim, she had finished up with the Pixies and she's like, I really want to do this, you guys. I want to hang out too. And, um, you know, so I stayed playing my, my part in the band, the keyboards, and um, Karen took over for bass for Kim. Kim took over guitar and singing for Paula and then Sherry played drums. And it was so much fun. And we would, we would have salads and just hang out and talk shit and be silly because we're ridiculous. <laughs> and, and just have a good time. It was a great, great overall, just good time. And then, you know, then we started thinking, hey, why don't we play a show? This will, we'll show everybody, we'll play a show. They'll, they'll be shocked. And um, so that happened. We booked some shows in 2015. It was June of 2015. Uh, oh, but I'm sorry, let me go back a little. So it was actually 2014 when we were, were uh, hanging out and practicing or whatever you want to call it. We, we thought before we even booked a show, we said, let's record something. This will be really awesome. And the thing with doing this band is we decided that, you know, obviously uh, Karen wasn't in the later portion of the Pandora. She didn't have to suffer through that. But <laughs> Kim and I were, and sorry, Sherry, you were too. But, uh, you know, it, it turned very, uh, very metal, very, you know, really not, not the taste that Kim and I had at all. Uh, so, Kind of the point was, you know, let's let's play all of our favorite songs that all all four of us loved in the band, and and you know we liked all the garage and the pop stuff. Paula was a great pop writer, songwriter. She was an amazing songwriter. I love her pop tunes, and um, so that's kind of where we started picking out the songs. And then we said, wouldn't it be fun if we could record, and we could record songs that never got to see the light. So, so during, you know, and I know you're going to get to stop pretending and stuff like that. You know, there's one specific song that we had recorded actually three times and it never had like a final mix. It never had, it didn't make any of the cuts of the album. Like it started to, like we did, we did uh, like basic tracks on it, maybe once and different times it got to different levels, but it actually never made, made an album. And then uh, some of the other songs made, some of the albums but um you know we said let's let's have those songs be be heard and then like dark november too paula's last written song which is a beautiful song and we said we need to give that like an appropriate release we need to let people hear it it's beautiful and so that's when we said okay let's let's record it and, and then um you know well okay what are we going to do and and then through my husband because of who he, he works with, we 
ended up recording at Green Day Studio. And we did that in 2014. The Muffs were playing the, uh, a festival up there. And uh, you probably know <laughs> what the festival was. <laughs> and uh, okay. so we went in and, and we recorded it with um, Chris Dugan. And we did four songs at that time. And that was with Sherry in their studio called Jingle, Jingle Town Recording. And, you know, it was, it was awesome, super exciting. And, and, and that was kind of the start of that. And then we ended up, when Hillary joined, we did, we said, let's record some more. So we, we do Karen three more songs. Yeah, we did three more, I think, all together, seven. Three more, because we wanted, obviously, Hillary was in the band now, and we wanted to do more. And we said, hey, we never did this song or this song, so let's do it. So we went back up there with Chris, and we recorded, like, the first time we were there, probably for, like, like two or three days, just doing, like, the basics and everything, getting it all done. And then the next time, the same thing, I think, like, one or two days. And that's kind of how that all came together of the, the initial recording of it. I had a question, Karen, maybe you can answer this. And I'm not trying to be existential or super spiritual or anything, but when you guys were recording these songs, did you feel Paula being there as part of this process or part of the recording? Uh, you know, honestly, I felt Paula's presence when we all got together and rehearsed for the first time. Uh, it started way back then. Okay. Um, and and she she never went away. She was always there. I mean, uh, just playing the songs and 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 also honoring Paula's songwriting by uh, playing the songs accurately as she had envisioned them. Because Melanie and I and and Kim were obviously there with Paula when she recorded and when we rehearsed and learned the songs in the studio with 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 Paula back when. Yeah, she was she had a pretty good idea how she wanted the songs to sound and we wanted to honor that uh as much as possible but also you know giving it our own sort of sound and personality so uh yeah paula was there for sure i think <laughs> absolutely i think so she paula would be so proud she would like she you know there were a few people that were like why are you guys doing this this is like you shouldn't do this is like like uh not um like you know basically degrading Paula and, and and stuff like that I was like what are you talking about this is like something that Paula would be so proud of like are you kidding me Paula loved attention she loved all this. she'd want her songs to be heard she loved us she like would support this 100% so you know hello <laughs> meets them I have to say as a fan that I was really excited that you guys did this and that you played again I saw you guys and at UCSD with the things back in 86, I want to say, somewhere, yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And I was right in front of you, Melanie, at that show up front. That was a great show. Both you and the things put on a great performance. And then um, many, many, many years later, I was shocked to hear that you guys were going to play the Casbah in San Diego. And again, I was up front, right in front of, right between Kim and Karen at that show. And it was so exciting to hear this music again in a live setting and just the energy that you guys are putting off. And um, I, I think know, Sherry- that's, that's how we felt too. We, were, we, we felt so excited too. We couldn't believe it. We were like pretty proud of ourselves. Yeah, as a fan, that was really exciting too. And then getting a new release 
I, I just love that you guys did this personally um, as an EP. And I feel like it, it was, it's a good way to honor Paula and do your guys' own thing. So. Absolutely. And, and in hindsight, uh, we didn't know Kim was going to get sick obviously. And, uh, you know, looking back, it's like, I'm so glad that we were able to have this experience, all of us together again. That's wonderful. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And we got to, we got, we got to go tour Europe. We got to get to Europe doing this, which the Pandora's back then we were supposed to, and we never made it. So that was incredibly special. And just the whole, the whole process of all of it, you know, it was like really meant to be. We had some great crowds too. It was, I was really like, I was like, wow, it was amazing. We headlined this huge festival in Spain. It was amazing. It was, the, there were thousands of people. Thousands. It, was it was insane. It was so cool. And the people that we met over there telling us how, you know, they, they can't believe like someone like crying and stuff, like crying. Remember the girls? Yeah. Paris, the, the, there's a Japanese band called the Melvins. Oh yeah. Okay. They're in They're tears. so cute. They're so cute and beautiful. And they were just, they, they had the singles for us to sign and just a lot of different people. I met people that said like, oh, I was pen pals with Paula. She used to write me. And, you know, it was really fun meeting it. And like, they, they talk about all their favorite songs and through the years. So then to actually hear it. And I think we represented it really well. And, um, you know, we had a good, good time doing that and I'm so glad we got to do it we we had did have some future things planned as well um but obviously you know we're we're unable to do that so we're so happy that this is there for everybody yeah I agree all right up next we wanted to talk about the Electra record but before we do that I wanted to mention something you mentioned Kim and I thought this was kind of funny so I, I have this little record rock hard which doesn't get much play compared to the other Pandora's stuff. There, for me. There's some good, there are a couple good songs on there. I love that I had Kim sign it and just for a point of humor, she writes on the back, she wrote, she writes, this album just sounds wrong. And she signs her name. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's so Kim. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So there is a bootleg Pandora's CD. Um, entitled psychedelic sluts i don't know who named that or who released this but I do. The, you, okay what do you know about it <laughs> um okay so that's a bootleg from one of the fans and uh he had because you know like all the the fans like would exchange tapes they used to come in with their their tape recorders and and make tapes and bootleg stuff and then treat it amongst each other. I'm sure that still goes on. I'm just not a collector person. Yeah. But um, it came from one of those tapes and it was presented to Greg Shaw. It's on oh. Bomp. It is Bomp put it out. It's oh. a very fake name and you know, not to ever be known, but I know for a fact. And uh, because it was told to me after and then some, I got a couple, I have two, I think copies, but um, it's, the demos. It's not our album. You know, some people think, I think that's a misunderstanding. That isn't our album. That is the demo. It's not the electro album. No, but I think some people think that is the electro album. It's demos that we did with Paul Cutler for the album. Okay. Cause at the end, it says that there's three songs from the 
release um, come inside. Was that? That is true. Okay, so that is true. Those are three uh, mixes, three songs. I don't know what mix is, and I don't know if it is the actual mixes from the test pressing, but. Okay, yeah, so those three songs were Run Down, Love Battery, Take the Lead, and Wear My Ring. So those were intended to be part of the Electra release? Yes. Is that right? So what what was the band at that point that recorded the Electra record? Was it the same lineup as Stop Pretending? Were you It was the same it was the same lineup. Yeah. We recorded uh at um tell, tell him when we went in with Paul Cutler first, you remember that? Well, for the demos. Yeah. That's what's on what he's talking about. Oh, oh. But you were asking about the Electra album, right, Jeffrey? Yeah. So I I, I was kind of confused because I thought those were part of the Electra record. So it sounds like they're not. Well, I mean, obviously, when when uh, when you go in to record a record with a big budget and with a producer, uh, a lot of times you go in and you record everything first as demos to see how they just you know with uh, really basic recordings. You basically just go in and play the songs live. Okay. Overdub the vocals and maybe a lead guitar part or something like that. It's very raw and very, uh, uh, it, you know, it's not, they don't spend a lot of time making it sound amazing. It's just a representation of the songs for the record company, for the producer to like pick and choose which songs we want to go move forward with and put them on the, uh, on the record and put the money towards that. Got it. Uh, because we had a certain budget for the demos and, you know, probably just a few thousand dollars or something. Uh, but then, um, you know, when you've got a huge budget, not a huge budget, but, you know, big record company like Electra, they're going to throw some money at it and put you in a f proper studio. And uh, we went to um, Sound City, actually, and did our pre-production there. Um, I remember being in the studio with uh, Bill Drescher, who was producing us, and I had a notebook, and I still have it somewhere, and I wrote out all my drum parts because he was very specific about the like the kick drum pattern and uh, things like that. I mean, he comes from a, a commercial sort of world. He was, he was working with Rick Springfield um, and Jesse's he just had girl. a, what's that? Jesse's girl. Yeah. Yeah, but he didn't do that one though. He was the next album, but um, so. I thought he did that one. 
No, he re he produced the second the the album after that. Um, but uh, so uh, so we worked with Bill very closely, and I would bring in my little you know portable cassette recorder and record stuff. Uh, and I had my notebook, and I would be writing out all my drum parts because uh, he was a really great uh, sort of producer, musician, just overall sort of guy. I, I loved what he did with our record and, and the mixes, but apparently the record company didn't, didn't like the mixes, and they had somebody else come in and mix, but that was after I was no longer in the band. So that was like, I recorded everything with the band. We went to, was it Crystal? Crystal Sound in Hollywood to record the basic tracks. We no, that's stop pretending. That's stop pretending. We did Chris Studio Lewis. Ultimo. With Studio Ultimo. Uh, that's right. We spent a lot of time there. I actually have some pictures of us there. And I oh, really? You, yeah, Kim took. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, we spent a lot of time there. There were, you know, there were a few different studios that we were in, but we did spend a lot of time at Studio Ultimo. Studio Ultimo. And that was like a place in the basement of an office building on Sepulveda. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's AAA now. But it was a beautiful uh, studio with a big, really big, big, big uh, recording room and a big uh, uh, a control room, you know, the full-blown deal. But we couldn't record during the day because um, it wasn't, you know, 100% soundproof. I mean, it was a proper studio, but the offices upstairs would complain if people recorded during the day. So we were recording at nights or weekends, I guess. Village Recorders, other place where we did some stuff for that album. What did, yeah, what did we do at Village? I have uh, I have us sitting in the control room. Couple did we do mixing there? Uh, yeah, maybe some mixing. Yeah. I don't remember recording there so much as as I know we did all the basic tracks at Studio Ultimo. Yeah, yeah, maybe some mixing there. Yeah, I love the recording studio. I've always loved the recording studio. I like to be there during all the, you know, as much as possible until people, you know, are are sick of me because I just love to see how things. I love to see how things are made. I love it. I, that's I guess why I'm sort of an engineer and, and uh, mixer now. Um, I just I love that whole process of of. It's like painting with with colors, but instead with colors with sound. I just love that the whole process. I'm a big fan. So you guys recorded this album in the studio at Ultimo, right? What yeah. what happened to the record? So the record, so, okay, so we recorded it. And, uh, you know, the, a lot of stuff happened during that time. I don't think we need to get into all the stuff, but uh, there were a lot of changes, obviously with band, with Karen, and then who ultimately Sherry ended up, but there were a few people or a person in between that came in for a little bit, who actually, oddly, she is on a recording on the Electra album. So- She, she put we, it on Run Down Love Battery, right? On that? She did. So what happened was a whole whole bunch of stuff happened and then they 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 wanted to bring in a more rock uh, producer and so instead of so we brought in somebody I don't know if you know who Arthur Barrow is he played he always played with Zappa he's done oh, wow. uh, he's played with a lot of people produced a lot of stuff Arthur is awesome we love Arthur and so he came into the picture we brought him in and uh, we wanted to make it more rock and more raw 
I will say, me personally, and I know Sherry and Karen as well, we do, I do like all of the Bill Drescher final mixes. So we had- Yeah, definitely. We had Bill Drescher final mixes. They're very 80s, super 80s, like something you'd hear in like the Breakfast Club or something. And, um, but the direction we were going in called for a more rock. Uh, it was too produced. It was too, so, they, you know, they said um, it needed to be more raw. I'm all about rock for sure. Maybe not so rock, but I mean, I like rock, but, you know, it was still okay then. But anyway, so Arthur Barrow came in and, and just basically started going through all the, the tracks and, and remixing and uh, changing it. And we, st we started recording other parts onto the songs. And, and I, was out, I was out of the picture at that, at that point. She wasn't in the band then and this girl, Kelly, uh, she was in the band for about two months and she ended up, we went in, I don't even remember the studio. I can remember it in my mind recording. We went in and we recorded Run Den Love Battery because that was not a song that Karen had recorded, right? No. Okay, so that was the beginning of Paula's rock direction, right then okay. and there, the switch over from Karen No More, and then Paula's gonna be more rock now, so she wanted the new rock direction, let's do our ACDC sounding-ish song, <laughs> Run Down the Battery with Kelly. So we did, uh -huh. we recorded it with Kelly, and then Arthur went through and remixed everything, the whole album, and we remixed it and mastered it and everything, Arthur did it all, and it, it uh, during that time is when then Sherry came into the band. So instead of having Sherry record Run Down Love Battery, we just left it with Kelly and then the songs that Karen's on. So on that actual album, on the test pressing, the format that there's probably some people that actually have it or have a bootleg of it, but um, it's Kelly on one song and Karen on the rest. Oh, and okay. it, it was in the format of the actual test pressing. It was to be released. We had a title. We had photos. We had the whole concept. We had everything. And then uh, on New Year's Eve, I think is when we were told. So our our uh, our ENR guy was Paula's boyfriend, <laughs> and he had us and Jet Boy, and they just a lot of stuff a lot of shit was going down and basically he lost his job and so as him losing his job also both of the bands guess what guess who doesn't have a home anymore we don't wow yeah we found out we were playing we were playing in we were flown out to florida to play the flagler mansion and it was this big huge party there were all these celebrities i remember george hamilton and vanna white specifically wow. there oh wow yeah 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 <laughs> But it was pretty cool. It was like we played this the Flagler Mansion. It was awesome. But that's when we found, I think we found out maybe coming back, flying back, but we found out Steve's like, you guys, I lost my job and you guys are no longer on the label. Wow. And it was like, what? Oh my God. You know, as Karen knows, we had just dedicated basically like two years of our lives because we signed in 86 when we were still on rhino and uh you know it was like shot gone it was like whoa it was pretty devastating 
but we had to move forward. So wow. we did. And that was that other album you have. And, and I, I, I would just want to chime in there a little bit because there's such a huge difference between the, the, the Pandoras, the 60s Pandoras and the rock Pandoras. And there's, oh, yeah. there's sort of a reason why that happened. Paula tends to be influenced by whoever she's dating at the time. And her boyfriend, Steve, uh, uh, was uh, into that whole kind of Sunset Boulevard rock and roll, you know, the big hair and the leather pants and the bullet belts and the cowboy boots and all that stuff. Uh, and Paula sort of started to go out to these clubs and see these bands and see that they, were, they had a huge audience and this. And he was a big influence on that. Um, and when, uh, when, we, when we were, when he said, you know, Electra would like to sign you, he said, but you have to drop your manager. So we had to fire our manager, who was a great guy, and that was tough because we, we, didn't, we didn't want to do that to him. But in order to move forward, we were kind of put in a bad situation. And so we, we had to fire him. And so we didn't have a manager. And so uh, Paula's boyfriend, who was our A&R guy, um, he had a lot of influence on Paula and the music and the dress and the style. And it just sort of started to merge into this more rock and roll thing. Um, but the record that we made for Electra wasn't hard rock at all. It was just, it still had the 60s influence with more of a modern production sound. Uh, I'm really proud of that record. I, I, we worked our butts off. I mean, that was, that was the most professional recording session I've ever been part of, really. Um, up until that time, at least. And, uh, you know, really proud of that record and everything like that. And unfortunately, uh, we weren't really being taken care of as a band. It was more sort of becoming more Paula and Steve doing everything. So that's where I had my issues. Uh, and that's where we butted heads was as far as the direction of the band, the lack of management. And so I got fired because <laughs> I had a different idea of, of how things should be run. And it wasn't, I couldn't, you know, I, cu I couldn't move forward and they didn't want to get a manager. And I was like, okay, uh, I guess this is not going to work out. Um, and after that, they, they ended up doing the whole uh, rock hard album and era of the band after that. So we parted ways and they went and did their, you know, rock hard thing. And, and I went off and did my, my pop, pop thing. Uh, yeah. Sure. And, and I do want to say one thing like about our manager at the time. He, he was great and he was our manager for Stop Pretending and all that and we're going to talk about that as well. But he actually was sort of instrumental in uh, helping us. Me and Kim were speaking to him a lot last and most recent album. He helped, he helped with that, with us as, as negotiating and, you know, I don't want to go into all that label stuff, but um, as, as far as he 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 looked over stuff and for us and and he helped oh wow. he was he was uh, paula's publisher back in the day yeah he still he still is he still has all that and he was very um supportive of all of it he's got that album he has our newest album and so yeah. the album was indeed called come inside that was what the the name of it was going to be yes i guess i was part of that so, so the naming album Different different titles we had. One of them was Eight Legs to Hold You. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, the, the title that was picked was Come Inside. <laughs> Would you expect anything else? No, no. 
All right, all right. So we wanted to jump to, oh, so is it, there's no chance that it'll ever get released? I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I guess you, there's always a chance. Know. Do we know who owns the tapes? Uh, yeah. Probably Electra. Yeah. Hopefully that'll see the light of day some, it someday. Would be, I, I know Karen and I would both love that. Yeah, absolutely. And we as fans would also yes. love that too. All right, Soraya, up next. Of course. Stop pretending. <laughs> yes. Going, we're so, jumping all over the place. So. <laughs> Wait, Jeff, hold up the cover one more time. So can we ask about this cover shoot? Yeah, absolutely. Because first of all, it's a badass cover shoot, but um, the idea for it, did you guys come up with the idea or was this, uh, were you guided in that direction? That, that was like through the photographer. I have some outtakes from that. I have periodically a couple times posted some outtakes on social media. I, I have a little folder with some stuff from that. But, um, you know, I think they, they, there was a, a, a concept and an idea of they wanted the back, the white, just the white with us all colorful. And then they threw, I remember them throwing some flowers around and stuff. I, I don't remember much more about it. I remember going to the place to shoot it. And, uh, you know, I, I can remember like, they surprised us with, you know, we each had our own poster that they that they made out of that photo shoot. For, for that album, there was just one photo shoot that they did all that and some promo photos from, and we did different clothes changes and stuff. But they surprised us with the posters. And at the time, looking back at it now, I'm like happy, I love it. But at the time we were all so unhappy. We were like, I can't believe they picked that photo. I can't, you know. I know. It's like, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't tell us, they didn't give us approval. All of a sudden there's a poster of us and we're, we're traveling around promoting the record and these posters are at the record stores. And I'm like, really, they picked that? They didn't even ask me, you know? <laughs> I love whatever, it. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I'm so happy that they exist. And I hope, you know, some collector people do have them because they're awesome. And like Karen said, we we're on tour traveling, traveling around and we would pull up to record stores or do signings and stuff. And like, you know, power over here on Sunset, it had the painting outside. It had the entire wall. Like people, they, I think they had a contest who could make the best display. And I have some photos that people have sent me uh, of different displays at the record stores, but it was cool. Yeah, it's a great cover. Yeah. And for me personally, I love this album. That's why we wanted to, to primarily focus on it. We love it. It's a great album. So it came out in 1986 on Rhino Records. Um, were you guys there when you signed to Rhino or what, did that already take place before? So no, no. Yeah, that, that was us. That was all us. Uh -huh. And then, so this is where Bill comes into the picture. Well, Bill, yeah, Bill, Bill, well, no, that's not true. We're actually where Bill came into the picture. Okay, wait, I'm going to, I'm going to backpedal a little bit. Okay. So Bill, the first time Karen and I worked with Bill, yeah, this is, I want my caveman. So that was, we went into, it was me, Karen and Paula, it was supposed to be Julie, but she wasn't there. And uh, Bill, Bill Eaglot, we went into this house up on like off of Sunset Strip and they had a recording studio there. 
Bill Inglot would remember the name of the studio. Karen, I'm telling them about when we recorded I Want My Caveman, because that was the first time that you and I actually recorded with, with Bill Inglot. And wasn't that kind of at someone's house a little yeah. bit, like a home studio thing? Yeah, Office Sunset, and it was me, Karen, Paula, and no Julie. And we recorded all night, and we were doing it for a comp, for uh, some garage comp. And then we gave like the special, special version to Rodney, and Rodney started playing it all the time. That was another one of his, yeah. right? That he just, he loved it. And so then that, that was our first time actually working with Bill. And then Bill, when we signed with, with Rhino Records, because, you know, we had um, all of the people that Paula was connected to in growing up with Gary Stewart and Rich Schmidt and, and um, Bill Inglot and everybody, you know, they all, they all worked for, worked with, with Rhino. So Bill, we said, we want Bill to produce us. I love it. We had a question because there's no studio listed, but where was this recorded? Stop pretending. Uh, Crystal, Crystal Sound. That was the, the, our basic tracks. And then we did a Chick Korea studio for some of it. Oh yeah, Mad Hatter. Uh, that was like for for overdubs and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. We played strip poker. <laughs> so I've had what? people write me. And they go, "I remember you guys in the lobby playing strip poker." Oh my god! <laughs> pretty you're, you're, you remember uh, we were we were in the lobby area and watching like television and stuff, mm -hmm. and and Chick Korea was downstairs like rehearsing, and he complained about all the noise we were making. <laughs> <laughs> They came up and said, "Hey, you guys, uh, uh, Chick, Chick uh, can hear you guys. Can you can you keep it down? Because he's working." <laughs> so I, I love it. And like what I remember about uh, our, our going into record Crystal at Crystal, we we got a little lecture like the night before. Our manager Randall he said, "Okay, guys, whatever you do, you need to get a lot of sleep because you're going to be up for the next 24 hours." And Karen will remember. Wow. Karen, Kim, and I, we we went one place, Paula went a different place, but we all proceeded to like go out, stay out all night, party, 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 just in insanity to where Kim ended up with her hand in a stuck in a mailbox. I ended up in a gutter. Karen was there trying to like take care of everybody and be wow. you know, the responsible person. And I got sick. Paula now, she was at a party on a table stomping around <laughs> skirt up saying, look at, you know, showing herself off, staying up all night. So basically when we all met up the next morning or, or e I think we went in the evening at night, we were all hung over and we had to stay up for the next 24 hours. Wow. It sounds like you did not heed the direction at all to get lots of rest absolutely not <laughs> uh I, and i also remember another place we also recorded at emi studios wow. oh yeah yeah we did a lot of stuff there as well too yeah was that mostly overdubs though at emi yeah i think so yeah because i remember basic tracks at like crystal i think we did all that stuff there i have i have some cassette tapes that have us talking like from our pre-production you know you do pre-production before so 
it's just us at rehearsal practicing and you hear us play instrumental and then I have us in the studio and you can hear Paula like going, wow, we're one hit wonders. Like after we did like the basic track and stuff, it's pretty cool. I have to sit and listen to more of it, but I have some cool stuff like that. I remember when we uh, recorded at uh, Crystal, um, it might've been Bill or, or Dan who got uh, Sid, Sid Griffin's uh, Vox AC30 for Paula. Cause she, she recorded most of the rhythm guitars through his, his guitar amp and they put it sort of like, there's this sort of like you walk in and then you walk through these doors and then you walk through these other doors. And so in that space is where they put Paula's amp and it was like a really sort of um, acoustically live sort of area outside. It was outside the main recording room and outside the, the control room. Uh, and we were all worried that the neighborhood was gonna complain because we were up really late recording and and the amp was really loud did we get anybody that came and complained about the the noise from the neighborhood do you remember um you know i don't really remember i know that there is a pic there's a picture of me kim and paula at the door of crystal studios uh like i uh, don't like you know sneaky and like hiding and stuff um i don't remember i mean I, I can remember staying up all night. I can remember, I remember exactly what you're talking about of the amp like that. I, I don't think anyone complained, but you know, what do I know? That's hilarious. And playing through Sid's amp. I love that. Yeah. That's cool. All right. We wanted to run through the songs real quick. And if you guys have any memories or stories about specific songs that you could chime in, that'd be great. And if not, that's fine too. But we wanted to, to see if you had any specific memories. So the first track on the album is In and Out of My Life in a Day, which you guys threw in your set in your most recent shows or the last few shows that you did. Um, I did see you guys open up for the, the Bengals too at the Whiskey, which was cool. So, um, Oh, cool. That was a great show. I love that. You guys killed it. Yeah. That, Thank you. Yeah, that was a great night. So In and Out of My Life in a Day. You guys remember anything about recording the song or writing of it or yep. any stories behind it? What do you remember, Melanie? That, that, so obviously we were a garage band. That was now going in uh, more of her new newer direction of not being so clumped into the 60s garage scene. So it was like kind of breaking out like that. And I remember Karen's whole drum intro and stuff, which was great because Karen was like, it was very, um, and Karen can speak of that as well, kind of influenced the drumming on that by the bands that Karen was influenced by. But uh, that was a newer song that Paula had brought in and it was a, a little bit different. And I remember I had bought a new, I wasn't using, I did use a Vox keyboard on that album, but on that specific song I had used my, um, a Kai keyboard that I had just bought. <laughs> like, wow. oh, I'm going to do a synth sound because we were so <laughs> that we didn't want to be clumped in the garage anymore. We had to make a difference. We had to, you know, have this this new like pose really into Madonna and stuff. So I, I remember that about it. Oh, wow. 
What about you, Karen? Yeah, you start off the album, right? With that. Um, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, um, and still am, a huge fan of sort of Duran Duran, the power station, um, and the, 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 the drumming, the, the sort of style, uh, the, which also the drummer played with Madonna as well, the power station guy. Uh, and, and that was sort of like get, being sort of getting into my playing style a little bit and some of the, my, my feel on certain things. And so um, I guess I just came up with, uh, let's do a drum intro or something like that. And then that's sort of where that the inspiration came from. Did you like the drum sound that they got for you? Um, you know, in hindsight, because I'm, I've been engineering and doing a lot of drum recordings now uh, for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Um, in hindsight, I would have gotten maybe a slightly different snare sound. I still have that snare drum, wooden Gretsch snare drum that I recorded with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't actually like critically listened to the album as like, how, how was this recorded and stuff like that so much. Um, I don't go back and listen to a lot of stuff. It's like once it's out there, it's 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 done. My 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 part of it is done. Unless I have to play it, you know, live, I don't I don't sit around and listen to stuff I've recorded that often. Um, so I'd have to go back and listen to it and see. But um, you know, for for what it was and the budget we had, I think it came out amazing. I think it was really good. They did a great job. I mean, Dan Matavina was the engineer and and. Um, Bill Inglot was a producer, uh, and Bill mixed it as well. Uh, it, it came out. It came out great. What's that? It was a great team. Oh, absolutely! It was the perfect team for for us at our level, at, at, with the budget we had, and we we really we did a lot with with uh, with with the small budget that we that we were we were given to to record. It came out great. I agree. Thank you. So up next, I didn't cry. of writing and recording the song? Yes. So that we actually first did a demo of with uh, Chris Ashford. And here, here there's always been a little, some discrepancies about this. And, uh, and you know, I'll make it known here. Stop Pretending is Karen, me, Paula, and Kim. Nobody else. It is us playing. There is no other players on it so uh that being said i didn't cry we did a different version of it when kim wasn't in the band with chris ashford and paula wrote that after she had broke it up with one with um ron rimsight i believe or around the time she was breaking up with him and um brought that song into the picture so I really remember recording that with Karen, with Chris Ashford at EMI Studios and Paula uh, first. And there's, you know, 
uh, Lee Joseph put out a version of that on a single, and I, maybe Chris did too on on Iloki Records. But um, anyway, so that that song, you know, that we brought that in, and then um, you know, I don't I don't remember much about recording it for Stop Pretending, but the same thing we you know did it the basic tracks and then just started you know adding on our parts and backing vocals and everything. Karen, anything on I Didn't Cry before we move on? Uh, not not really on I Didn't Cry. The only thing I, I would like to add to recording uh, with Chris Ashford at EMI is that um, a few times when we, we, would, we would show up, the Red Hot Chili Peppers would rehearse in that same space. Wow. And, and their equipment would be set up. And I just remember Flea's amp. I mean, he had like two giant stacks of bass cabinets and they were painted this day glow color. They had everything set up like they had just practiced and left, you know, and we went in there to, I forget, do overdubs or something probably. Uh, that, that's my memory. That's one of my, my fond memories of, of recording there. Wow. And we, oh, and we did, we did also, we did Thunder Alley. We did Thunder Alley and I Didn't Cry. And I think those two songs came out on that, uh, um, what's, uh, what, what's his record label? So, yeah, so the Chris, Chris originally did uh, Thunder Alley and he did it for a, a what surf comp that he put out and then he said um, can I can I do some demos with you and then that's when we did I Didn't Cry which came out on Lee Joseph's single with with that song but we also did a version of That's Your Way Out and I'm, oh yeah I'm a girl also not to be confused with stop pretending versions because they are different versions uh, thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> All right. Up next, anyone but you. memories of this song being written or written? Well, I, I sort of remember that Paula was influenced a little bit by Wham on this one. Really? It had, a, it had a, a sort of Wham vibe to it. She wanted that, I don't know if it's called Northern Soul, but that beat, you no, know, Baku, Baku, that whole thing. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. I never would have thought that. You'll never hear the song the same again. <laughs> no. Never. So you're talking about you're all talk. Remember that that being written and recorded? Uh, 
I feel like we did that. When did we start doing that, Karen? I uh, don't know. We that we didn't do that in the very beginning, but it seemed like we did, did it most of our career in the Pandoras. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I know like who influenced in and out you know, back to that song, but uh, you're all talk. I'm not really sure who influenced that, but um, I can remember like doing my overdubs and stuff like that for the song, but that that was only recorded for opportunity. For just opportunity, okay. It's a great what song, about, I love that song. Yeah, yeah, I love it too. And um, you guys did that song with Kim singing, right? Cause I, I can picture her yep. belting out the vocals for that. and. It's perfect for her, for her vocals, Kim's vocals as well. Absolutely. So what about That's Your Way Out? That is the one that had been recorded more than once. That, that was actually originally recorded for a Moxie single. I believe it's on the Moxie single. And Bill Inglot did that version. Then there's a version that we did with Chris Ashford that nobody has. There's, you know, that never came out on anything. And then there's the version that's on Stop Pretending, which is the version that you hear it's great. I love it. I'm a big fan of that song. Always have been. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite songs actually that, that ever. I just has so much energy in it. Yeah. I love it. The drumming on that is so fun to play. It's really a fun, a fun song to play. And I think it's like, it's Pandora's. It's great. Yeah. As far as like any of the songwriting goes, uh, you know, Paula was the songwriter. It's her, it was her band and, and she wrote all the songs. She would come in with her either uh, she would just come in and play it and, and give us an idea of what she had in mind for our different parts. We didn't collaborate on the songwriting. We did collaborate on sort of the production and our parts and things like that to a certain extent. Depends on the song because sometimes she had a real uh, exact idea how she wanted a beat to go. Well, for instance, like on You Don't Satisfy, you know, she didn't tell me what she wanted right away. She just said, well, you know, see what you come up with. But then she had a real specific idea in mind, you know, the da 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 ba ba. It was it's a very specific drum beat. It's not something that I would have come up with on my own. That's Paula's uh, Paula's influence there. 
Yeah, just to give you a little background on sort of how the, the process works with her writing the songs and bringing them in and stuff. And lyrically, You Don't Satisfy, to me, in- encapsulates Paula's lyrical style. It just seems like it's, when I think of You Don't Satisfy, I'm like, that seems like total Paula to me. As a fan, oh, yeah. as a fan, it, just. Yeah. And, she, and she comes out of the gates with a big scream, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's like the, the signature of the Pandoras, you know, that, that scream. Right, right. Even, which which, which influenced, influenced Kim in a big way as well. Huge. Yeah, yeah, and Kim would be the first to tell you that she was influenced by Paula. For you know that that's we all learned from being in this band. You know, so much. Yeah. All and right. So that that ends side one. So side two, Soraya. Yeah. So it leads off with "Let's Do Right." one too isn't it uh let's let's do right so um i play harmonica on that i play like on the album i think some people think it's paula it's me playing harmonica um that was just always a fun uh lots of another filled with lots of energy the audience would always like that song what do you remember about it I, you know, I don't have any specific memories about that song. I just, it's a, it's a great song. It's a, a lot of energy, harmonies. That um, was fun, always fun to play as a drummer. I love playing that song. That's about it for me. I, I know, I know one thing too, and uh, thinking about re- recording this album, it was very important to Bill Inglot. He wanted to preserve our 60s garage sound but kind of make it a new refreshed Pandora's sound but keep that because I remember like you know like I had said I had bought that other keyboard and he's like oh no no you're not using that you're gonna use the Vox keyboard uh. <laughs> and you know I'm so happy because I still do on stuff that I record on I use that Vox keyboard and I use the other keyboard too <laughs> but um yeah Melanie, I'm glad that you brought up the harmonica thing because there was a San Diego band that came out around the same time, kind of in the same scene um, that came out on Vox, the Telltale Hearts. And it always reminded me, you always reminded me of Bill from that band too, because Bill was always on the left side playing Vox, a Vox continental keyboard, and then he would break out into the harp harmonica too. So uh, there was always that tie together. And another tie I thought between that the Pandora's and Telltale Hearts was, I believe that Paula came up with um, the name for one of their compilations, Big Noses and Pizza Faces. I don't know if you guys ever knew or heard about that, but. I didn't know about that, no. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm I think, not sure, I can, I can only speak for like, I knew that I met those guys when I was in high school. I was like, I met them when I was like 15. I was this little kid. So I knew them, I was friends with all of them. I actually uh, had a friend that dated the drummer, but I knew each one of them very well. And Paula, her, she did as well. And when she dated Ron Rimsight, he was like best friends with Mike Stax. Paula knew him and you know, cause Ron Rimsight had a, a fanzine called Nutty Night Floor and Mike Stax had ugly things. So, you know, I don't know, maybe somewhere through there, like maybe that's true. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, sorry, sorry, Soraya. No, no worries. Uh, track two, I'm your girl. I'm a big fan of that song. I like it. Uh, I can remember recording it, and I, re <laughs> I remember on my my keyboard lead part. I remember they spliced two bits together to oh. make it sound that way. I remember that. I remember recording all of, like the different parts and recording it over and over. And I might have cassette copies of that as well during recording that. But um, yeah, I like it. I like how it came out. It was fun. And I imagine at the time it was actual physical tape that was being spliced <laughs> together, right? It was oh, yeah. Pre-Pro Tools or... Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it was all two-inch, 24-track analog. Yeah. Very cool. What about track three? The way it's going to be. That's a badass song too. This, and these are all songs you guys that you're you're mentioning. These are all songs that we love that we were performing in our reformed Pandora's as well. You know, every thought, as you know, you know, every song is basically telling the person, you know, tough shit. That's the way it's going to be. You can't tell me what to do. I feel this way. I'll do what I want. I'm badass. I'm, you know, they're 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 ferocious and tough, like a girl gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, one thing I, I love about that song, it doesn't have anything to do with the recording of it, but I just like that there's a lot of dynamics in it. It's got those parts, you know, dun, 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 kind of drops down to, to that, and then it builds up, and then there's just the screaming and yelling, and um, I love that. I love that. It's great. It's I can get all trashy on the cymbals and all that stuff. You know, it's it's awesome. And I love the gang backing vocals, like you know, repeating and repeating. It's so fun to sing that. Yeah, you know, it's an awesome. Song.
get to the the track that carries the title of the album stop pretending reminds me of a question that I just wanted to ask real quick. I'm a huge fan of sequencing. I love albums over singles. I always bring it up. And it's to me, it's unusual that the title track is buried mid to towards the end of side B. Who did the sequencing for this album? And can you talk about the song as well? I don't remember who did the sequencing. I'm sure we all had a little bit of a part in it. I, ha I have uh, copies. I, I posted them on the fan page once and it has each person's sequence that they want for the album. Each of us wrote it out, including Bill. And then we, amongst all of us, decided what the sequence would be, but it has like, here's Kim's, here's Karen's, here's Melanie's, you know? And like what we didn't want on it, like songs that were dropped off of the album too, because we had to pick, I think, two songs. Like I told you before, we always recorded more songs than what made it on the album. And some might not have been completed. Some may have been completed, but they didn't make it. Uh, Melody, maybe you know uh, the, the story behind this better than I do, but Stop Pretending was a song that uh, Paula had for, for a long time. She had, she had recorded it in uh, the Action, Action Now, right? Yeah, so- With That whole band. So uh, that, I think a lot of her inspiration uh, for writing that song, Paula dated Peter Case okay. and around the time that she dated him. She wrote some awesome songs. She wrote Stop Pretending. She wrote uh, See If You Can. See If You Can, yeah. yeah Another great it. song. We love it and that's why we recorded it and put it out on on our last um, EP. But uh, yeah, the Action Now did it. They, they Paula wrote the song, they recorded it. It has um, the Action Now singing it, so it's a, it's a guy singing it. And when we were coming up with songs to do for the album, in the pre-production, we started thinking about, well, what songs can we add, you know, to this? And Bill, I think uh, Bill Inglot was very instrumental in suggesting, you know, I think you guys should do Stop Pretending. You should do yeah. Stop Pretending. Yeah, you're right. I think he brought those forward because, you know, he had his whole history with Paula before and, uh, you know, working with her and everything and being friends with her. And that song is so great. Love that song. It's classic song. And I love um, her songwriting in that genre and see if you can and all of that. So that that's what I remember of it. And I, I, to answer, to not answer your question, I don't know why it was put in that position, even though it's the title of the album. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe at the time we didn't think uh, that it really, really represented what we were all about. 
because it was sort of different from all the garagey stuff. It was more pop and, and that. And maybe we thought we didn't want to misrepresent ourselves as this pop band, putting it up front. Uh, maybe just kind of throw it in, mix it in with everything else. So uh, it didn't stick out as much and people didn't get the wrong idea of what type of band we were in our sound and things like that. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I honestly don't know. That's fair. I make that. Track five, Ain't Got No Soul. It's like, it's like, it's not, is, does it say it's like her song or it's a cover? It's a cover. <laughs> I don't know the original, but the Yeah, see, it's a 60s garage cover. I know the song. Um, it's pretty close to the original. Okay. Um, you know, that song's okay. It's not, it's, you know, it'd be interesting to see what my list says of the songs to leave off. <laughs> it, it, you know, we, we played it all through, like, doing the tour for that album. It was cool. It was different, for sure. And I love playing that as the drummer. Uh, the, the beat on that was really funky. Uh, it's like, it's kind of got that sort of, uh, again, sort of that soul, soul kind of vibe. A little different from the from the trashy garage '60s thing. It's got a little more soul to it, I think, which I I dig. <laughs> and and it's called "Ain't Got No Soul." <laughs> and a little double negative there, but whatever. Yeah, and it's the only cover that you guys did. Here's like a little known fact too. Paula was a huge record collector. Paula knew her music, even though you know she didn't always have the greatest taste in music later on. She always stuck with her roots. She, you know, she, she went to all the early on punk rock shows when she was like, you know, 14 years old, probably even younger. And um, she still would talk, uh, you know, music with, with record collector people. Um, so she definitely had all her music roots, even though she later on was into all the horrible, horrid rock stuff. She still appreciated and loved all the punk stuff and the pop stuff. She, she really knew her music. And soul stuff, everything that's what reminded me of that. That's cool. she, she also loved the Who as well. Huge She's a Who fan. Yeah. I had to Google it. Um, original was a band called The New Line from the 60s. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I have that. I have. Uh, I have a record of theirs. I had no idea who they were. So I have a record, or I have. Uh, I think it's blue and orange, or it's on one of those comps because I have so many. 60s garage records because that was my whole thing I got into. Last track, it felt all right.
badass. That song right. was so badass. It's still badass. That that's like the the toughest, coolest, wah, you know, song. And and that was always so much fun to play. We played that Karen from almost the beginning of Karen and I being in the band. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. You know, when we were trying to decide on some songs for like the the new EP that we put out, we go, let's do this. We love playing this song. We'll do our version of it. It's it's a song that comes out of the gates, sort of balls to the wall and doesn't and doesn't stop. Just beginning yeah. to end. It's just high energy the whole time. It's it's, it's fun. Kick-ass and badass. It's so fun to play. It's so fun to rock out to and shake around. I love it. That's like a big wall of noise and screaming. Yeah. And those those drums kick ass, yep. I gotta say. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And um I can hear a little bit of who in that song, especially that that just just coming out the gate. It sounds like it could be an early who type song. All right, so that's the whole album. Do you guys have any final stories on it? I think this album holds up really well, personally. Um, it's one of my all-time favorite albums, so I'm really glad that you guys came on to talk about it. Any final stories or any final things? I have it on cassette. Oh. <laughs> a friend of mine found this at a store, a record store, and gave it to me. Oh. I don't think I have a cassette of it. I probably just have my vinyl somewhere. Look at that. Oh. I need that. But now I do. I mean, I guess it was great. I love. I feel the same about that album. I think that is. I'm super proud of it. I love that that we were all part of it together. And you know, I hope it always exists. And one thing about the Stop Pretending record, I think, is that it was more of a. It it was less trying to capture the the let's say the recording techniques of the era. So I think the Pink album that those guys did and, and You Don't Satisfy was, was a little more of a, of a product, in the production quality and, and goals were to make it sound like the 60s. I think when we did the Stop Pretending album, we just yeah. wanted to record us with our sounds without trying to color it too much to make it sound retro, mm -hmm. but we, you know, yep. the songs themselves were retro enough with the keyboards and guitars and maracas and, and the, the melodies and all that stuff. And, and I think that's a true representation of the band at the time. Uh, if you came to see us live, that's, that's pretty much how we would sound. I yeah, love that. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, that's how I describe it too. It sounded like 80s quality production with a band that was heavily influenced by the 60s, whereas It's About Time was sounded more like it came right out of the 60s. Yeah, exactly. Production wise. Whereas Stop Retaining's much more cleaner production. All right, you guys, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about it. I love this album. I'm so excited. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for having us. Yeah, that was wonderful. It was super fun, you guys. We really appreciate the input on these songs and yes. and um, thank you so much for releasing that EP too. That was, it's, it's a good way to cap off the career of the Pandoras, in my opinion. So It was definitely a, a labor of love and uh, honoring Paula and her, you know, songwriting and her spirit and her, her style and, um, and doing that with Kim, you know, obviously in hindsight, it's, it's, it's even more special that we, we made that happen and we got to do that. So, yeah. Thank you so much for that. Thank you guys both so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. All right.
All right. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Bye. Wow, Soraya. What did you think about that conversation? First of all, Melanie and Karen have memory for days. Yeah, that surprised and, me. Man. You know, it, their recounting not only of the album, but of the things that we talked about really helped kind of put the Pandora's in perspective for me. Um, you know, both while Paula was here and then what happened after, I thought it was very sweet how the band reformed and, you know, how it started out as, hey, let's just have some fun playing together. And then, hey, let's just go out and play and not tell anybody. And that they picked the songs that they picked. And it's really a very sweet tribute to Paula, but also a really affirmative statement for the band. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and so it's just really interesting to hear that story. And then, I'm sorry, but walking through, stop pretending. You know, it's amazing how that album really kind of stands the test of time. We, You and I talk about it a lot, about how some albums can stand that test of time, no matter how many years pass, and some don't. Stop Pretending does. You know, the songs are quality, and it's high energy. And, you know, to hear Karen go, yeah, I just remember it's just a lot of thrashing and noise and just, you know, yelling. And you just, you can hear it, right? You could almost be in that studio and just go like, all right, it's balls to the wall. Let's just do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. I like I I like hearing that energy and you hear it in this album from this band, you know? Yep, yep, for sure, for sure. I, you, you and I both know, I was a little bit leery about walking through every song, even though that's what I wanted to do. But just because sometimes when we talk to artists that from these albums from the 80s, it's difficult to remember everything, but you're right, their memory was great. And I'm glad that we did walk through each song because we got we got some insight into some of these songs and a few of the parts. And I love that because I love every single song on this album. You know, and one of the interesting things, and I have to thank Melanie for that, is she clarified some things too. You know, like, oh, people think, this but it's really that you know yep and um you know like her it's like yeah people think it's paula's harmonica on um on let's do right well it's actually me you know or um the bootleg the issue with the bootleg that was an interesting story how that kind of you know and now that gives it a gives it at least for me a lot more clarity but, but um, you know, it's an interesting band. It went through so many different transformations, you know, in terms of sound, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, that evolution was just really interesting to hear it from their perspective. And can you imagine being to being stormed over, in Melanie's words, Paula Pierce storms over and says, do you play an instrument and your boyfriend rats you out and a week later you're playing. Yep. And a week and, later you're in the studio. And then you're in the studio and what you recorded gets played by Rodney. I mean, where does that happen? Exactly. In Melanie's life. 
Yeah. I don't know. Between the two of them, there are stories galore, and I think we barely scratched the surface. Yeah, yeah, but that was great. I'm so glad that they took the time to talk to us. I mean, they were super generous with their time. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was. This was a lot of fun. Yep. And it's a great way to round out our 80s because this is episode number 89. So Hey! So starting next week, we'll be in our 90s. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh, I don't... I, well, I was going to make a very terrible joke and I'm not. That's usually my, my responsibility. No, I, I, I was going to take it over. But um, I don't know, Jeff. This was a this was a fun episode and it really was. Aaron and Melanie, uh, yeah, hats off. Yes, they thank them for so much for uh, sharing their stories and anecdotes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, I think we better wrap it up. <sighs> well, I want to just say, Karen gave us, I think, a quote that now I can't let go of. She talked about. How with music, it's painting in sound. Love and that. that is, if that isn't either an album name or a song name, then I don't know what is. Gente, painting in sound. Agrubiar. Groove on, Paisley people. I've heard such shitty audio so many times on so many podcasts and, and everybody's different depending on what their sound is like. Oh, fuck. Sorry. Oh, nice boobs, Karen. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs>